months, you know. And we're going to be talking about fellowship today. I, I want to touch on something as well, and this is kind of related. Um, this same group, a-, a cappella, that year, this was September, in February, they came to um, school, and uh, they actually sang this song in concert. And, and I don't know how related this is, but I was uh, in that concert listening to a cappella, listening to Sweet Fellowship, that song, really into it. And at the same time, there was a certain member that I fellowship here at this church with named Ethan Young um, that was invading my privacy of my room. And while I was, you know, rocking it out to Sweet Fellowship here, Ethan had taken a tarp, a clear plastic tarp, and duct taped it the whole length of my ceiling. And then he had taken water and somehow poured water into it. And then he had taken about 150 goldfish and poured them into this tarp. Okay, so I get in, I, I turn on my lamp, and I, and I see the reflection, I look up, and there are these hundreds of goldfish swimming above my head. All right? And this was the sweet fellowship, and on the, on the door it said, you've been had by big dog. <laughs> no one knew who he was at that time. Ethan had this call sign, and he was doing these elaborate pranks. Um, and this was, he chose me, I think just because my door was open, not because any malicious intent, right? right. <laughs> so this is the kind of guy you're fellowshipping with. I just want you to know that. I know. I was late, so I didn't hear that. But good, I think that's fine. <laughs> so sweet fellowship. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. When we think of fellowship, Sammy, oh, okay. This is maybe what you, you think of when you fellowship. I hope not. I think we're beyond this as a church. But this is what the majority of the American church thinks of of what fellowship is. Coffee, juice, drinks. You know that awkward time where you make chit-chat and sip your coffee and the kids are spilling things on the carpet in the other room? And I can't tell you how many countless encounters I've had at fellowship hours over the time when we would visit churches when Dad would speak that they were so awkward and really in a lot of ways shallow. But this is what we've come to expect of fellowship. And I'm not bashing this. This is, can be a useful time uh, to, to promote fellowship, to go towards fellowship. But if this is our church's fellowship, then we're missing it. Um, this says this, and I don't get it as a, like a quasi-assembly, whatever we are, and we have two meetings. This one doesn't make sense, but it says, if they had the coffee hour before the service, maybe I could stay awake during the sermon. Because that's the thing. But it didn't make sense to me, because we have it in between, and so we do have it for the sermon. And people are still falling asleep, so I don't get it. But, um, at the Great Adventure Church, when, when, when this church was started by some, some young families that were passionate about doing what God wanted in their lives, fellowship was a, a cornerstone. And not just the, uh, the fellowship that maybe we've come to understand, but it was an intense, purposeful fellowship. And it, it went across all these. Acts 2.42, we've been looking at, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You see, fellowship occurs in each one of these. And they had taken so seriously the call to fellowship with one another that it looked incredible. And it was incredible. In fact, uh, rather than we, right now, and, and for administrative purposes, I, I, I realize we stopped between 12 and 12.15 at this point. Um, when Great Adventure was started, pretty much everyone agreed, okay, on Sunday we're wiping the slate clean. 
And uh, that's our day that we're committing to be with one another, no matter how long. And it was enjoyed, and it was sought after, and it was longed for, and it was beautiful. And here's where the tough stuff comes. I think, and I, don't, not, I know, that we've fallen from this. I, I, I want to say also, we, I think we have some great times of fellowship together, but we have fallen from the standard that was set at the beginning of what this church would be about. That our lives would be so interconnected and so aligned together that other people would look and say, wow. The English meaning of the word fellowship. Let's look at that together. According to the Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary, it means companionship, company, associate, the community of interest, activity, feeling, or experience a unified body of people of equal rank sharing in common interests, goals and characteristics, partnership, membership. Not bad, right? A lot of good things from that description that we can look into in fellowship. I like that partnership or that membership or the the sharing together. Um, And I'm not a huge Greek guy, but I'm really excited about this one because there's a camp named Koinonia, and so I know how to say this word, I think. Um, the Greek meaning of the word fellowship, koinonia, um, it means this. The New Testament usage, according to sentence construction, refers to the thing shared in common in some way by all parties involved as relationships. This comes from J. Hampton. Uh, and this was an article. If you want to go to www.bible.org and look up keyword in the search fellowship, this is a, a really, really exciting article that you could read that might be helpful for you. But this is what he says. He says, The New Testament usage, according to sentence construction, refers to the things shared in common in some way by all parties involved as relationships. Look at the English meaning. Can I go back on this, Sam? Sharing in common interests. See if you can catch the difference. Parties involved as relationships. You see, fellowship in the church is not just about coming together because, hey, oh, you like country music? I like country music. Yeah, let's hang out. You know, that's not the kind of relationship. It's not a common interest thing. Okay? The reason we come together is because of this relationship. Relationship with who? In the New Testament, believers can have fellowship and share together because they, first of all, have a relationship with Christ and share Him in common. 1 John 1.3 What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This is another translation. What we have seen and heard, we declare to you, so that you and we together may share in a common life. That life which we share with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. You see, this is not a social club. We don't come together on Sunday to to sing and feel great. We come together because we are bound together through this relationship that each one of us individually has with the Lord Jesus. Those that have placed their faith in Jesus for salvation 
have a relationship with the God of the universe. And you know what? I have that relationship. My father has that relationship. Ethan has that relationship. Bradley has that relationship. And when we come together, we share in common, not just a a same interest. Well, yeah, I'm interested in God. You're interested in God? Yes. No, we are bound to God through this relationship. We have a fellowship that goes deeper than something I'm interested in. It goes actually into this relationship that's been created by the very cross of Christ. And so now when I come together with my brothers and sisters here, it's not just getting together, but the body of Christ is joining. And that's a big deal. And that's a big deal. And we need to, this morning, understand that that this fellowship is a relationship. Acts 2.44 And those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Not just that they all wore the same sandals. Not just that they all kicked up the dusty dusty roads together. Not just because they all were poor, probably. But all things in common means they all had this relationship that we're talking about with the Lord Jesus. And it brought them together. Dave Glock in... uh, I can't remember which one it was. I think it was the Survey of Doctrine course. Showed a, a, this is my own version of it, but it was something like this. And he talked about the relationship of believers. And the relationship of believers first starts, and I wish I had a laser pointer. That would make it... (laughs) It starts first with this. This vertical relationship, if you will, between me and God. That's a mystery in itself. We can, we can talk about that in another sermon and go on for hours. This a mystery of a relationship that I have as a human, frail human, with the God of the universe. And because of that relationship, I join with other me's on this line that also have a relationship with God. That same unique, beautiful relationship. And so when the church comes together and we fellowship. We fellowship horizontally to one another, but the main thing is we are connected and fellowshipping together with God. That's what we have in common. Does that make sense? And so the early church, recognizing the importance and the the gravity of, of what they had fallen into with this new relationship with one another and, and with the God of the universe began to do some incredible and pretty drastic things that I believe the church in America has not seen for a long time. See, they began selling their property and their possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. So that means they took literally, you are not your own and your things are not your own for you've been bought with a price. And so what they did is they took what they had. Not the surplus, not the extra, the things they weren't using. They took what they had, the things they were using even. They threw it in the pot. And they said, okay, let's come together. And, and what you have in the middle from all of us, the, the things that we've been given is now everyone's to share. So that no one in this church, there's an impression of maybe what they were saying, no one in this church is going to have need anymore. No one in this church is going to worry about those debts that you owe. 
You know why? Because the debts that you owe are going to be paid for out of the surplus that we all have put in the middle. And they did it. It wasn't just a theory. It wasn't just a, you know, a night, well, this would be cool. Wouldn't it be neat if we... They did it. And it was foundational to who they were. And it was just a natural response when they understood this relationship they had, this horizontal relationship that they had with the God of the universe. They said, okay, wait, this seems smart. This seems real. This seems what we're supposed to do. Here's my stuff. It's not mine anyways. It's God's. And so the believers of that time shared in common everything. Pretty amazing. Acts 2.46 Day by day, continuing with one mind. That's neat. Continuing with one mind. One purpose. One goal. One desire. And that mind was not their own. That mind was God's mind. So continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. I never really understood this breaking bread from house to house until Jason had us over to his house recently and he showed um, a story. It was put on Discover Channel. Was that who put it on, Jason? And it was called The Real, Real Story of Jesus or um, The... The complete story of Jesus, some really interesting thing. From a uh, secular perspective, and yet they, uh, some of the things that I saw on that really helped explode my understanding of the story of Jesus. And one of them was this concept in, in Bethlehem, the houses, they look similar to this, except that they were set up, um, here's a house, here's a house, here's a house, here's a house, and they were all kind of almost like a block, but closer. And each door was opening into the middle of this courtyard. Okay? And so, we're neighbors, you know, you got a street going down, and then you're neighbor, 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 other side of the street, neighbor, 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 neighbor. This was even more close. The houses were set up even this way. And family members and other, you know, people, your neighbors were, were super close so that you could walk out your front door, walk 10 feet, and run into your neighbor's door. And that's how the houses were set up. So it makes sense then when they say that they started breaking bread from house to house and they were taking meals together and gladness and sincerity of heart because they basically lived together. Even the very construction or architecture of their homes facilitated them being so involved on a regular basis in each other's lives. And now, with the homes we have, and I don't know if it's the end of the world, but our homes, you know, you open the garage door, you drive in, you close, you turn off the ignition so you don't die of carbon dioxide, you know. And basically, besides a polite wave, you don't have to say anything to your neighbor anymore. And that's just with the neighbor. But I'm telling you, in this church even, there's ways that we've gotten to that point. Where in, in, a, in a picture maybe, we, word picture, we've basically waved as we've driven into each other's own houses, own lives, own worlds. And instead of a connectedness that this early church is demonstrating for us, we bought into really the American dream, haven't we, of being individualistic. I don't even know if that's a word, but that's what we're becoming. Our own islands. I got my problems, I got my debt, I got my family, and I'm willing to share that with you, sure, to an extent. And yet there's limits. Come on. I've got to worry about my own things. You worry about yours. That's just the agreement. 
And yet the early church who had been taken with this new relationship that they had with God demonstrated something completely different, didn't they? Because every day, on a regular basis, they were with each other. When this church was started, and I didn't start this church. I came in shortly after, I'm thankful for. But the people that that came together and said, we want church to look different than the rest of the churches we've ever been to, decided that one of the ground principles that they would build on would be that we will be so involved and connected to one another that we will be radically different from everyone else. And you know what? That's what they did. And it was exciting. And I really believe that we can get back there. Not by ourselves, but when it's God's plan i got to believe that God has a way that it can come together. Acts 2.47 Praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. We could talk about evangelism too, but I believe we're going to touch on that as well, right? Later, someone else is going to... And this is a, a verse that's talking about that. But there, we talked about them looking different. That radical new way of living was so appealing, was so cool to everyone looking in that they looked in and they said, I need that in my life. i got to have that. And so the fellowship of the early church was so dramatic, was so real, was so God-minded and God-centered and God-led that people realized that's different. That's something God has done and I need to be a part of it. So they came. This is an amazing story of evangelism as the Lord was adding to their numbers daily. But something we overlook sometimes too is, and someone will talk about evangelism, so I'll talk about the church aspect of it. When we demonstrate this kind of love and connection and fellowship with one another, we are the representation of who God is on this earth. See, according to these verses, the 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Romans 12, 5. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You see, God's church is not an accident. See, Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. And when He created this church, He created it so that it would reflect who He is to a dark world. That a dark world looking for answers, looking for meaning, would come to understand who He is and how great He is and how powerful He is just by the way we treated each other. Just by the way we served and loved and worshipped and read and prayed. But you know what else it does? This church body, any individual member should be able to look at this church body, look how it functions, look how we relate together, look how we interact and say, that's what God looks like. That's what He's about. That's what He does. That's what His interests are. That's how He loves me. You see, it's not only a picture, a bright beacon to the whole world, it's a picture to each one of us in here. 
so that when my girls are growing, I want them to look at this church and say, that's who God is. I need Him, don't I? And you know what that means? That means if, if any of us in here aren't fellowshipping the way God has told us to fellowship, then my daughter looks at this church and says, wait, that's not quite right. Is that what God looks like? I don't want that. And so is it hard to, to understand why thousands of youth in, the, in high school and junior high years are saying, forget this fake junk. Don't teach me those lies. Because it's got to be lies, because you're not showing me it's true. Will this church be different? Down there we have about 30 Sunday school kids that will be looking up here to understand who God is. Will we show them? Ah, who's seen this movie? Who's read the book? Who's heard of this movie? <laughs> I just want everyone to be included. Fellowship. Fellowship. I was going to do a skit. I was going to do a skit. Hi, Scott. Um, with this, and we were going to have um, a lot of our church members that maybe could help us represent some of the Lord of the Ring characters and the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, but it got too late, and I got too lazy. And so we were going to have Micah Young come up and he was going to have to kneel way down and try to be Frodo for us because he's the only one at this point that has Frodo's hair going on. So I asked him, he gave me his number, said, I'll do it if you want me. And so he was very willing. And then we were going to have um, this beautiful couple up here. We were going to have Aragon, obviously, and then Legolas with um, Claire being Legolas, <laughs> the male elf who strikingly looks like a girl. And then... Aaron would be the only logical explanation because Scott doesn't have a beard anymore for Gimli. And so uh, he was going to come up here and, and we were going to have just a great old time acting that out. But just imagine how funny that would be. And I asked, the kind of the whole stopping block was uh, Samwise Gamgee. I wanted to point out the relationship between Frodo and Samwise Gamgee. Best of friends, right? And so I asked my friend, Jess, very theatric, very funny, and he's like, I've actually never even seen the movies. <laughs> and I'm like, what? You've never seen the movies? And he's like, I saw one. Which one? The last one? <laughs> and so he didn't get it. So he could not be Samwise Gamgee. I refused because he didn't have the passion. <laughs> but it was going to be awesome. And this whole story is amazing. Because the whole thing is about this group of, of men and ladies that come together for one purpose for one desire and they commit to one another that they have each other's backs that they'll protect each other that they'll be loyal to each other that they'll be friends to each other and the whole story really when it boils down to is, is about these relationships that stick together for a common purpose and a common goal to get something extraordinary and world changing done And it's awesome. Frodo and, and Sam are incredibly close. Kind of reminds me of Jonathan and David kind of relationship. And the interaction that they have is clear that they love one another. So, and the way Tolkien wrote the book, this relationship between Sam and Frodo, the language he used even is, is so descriptive and so loving and it almost sounds like a romantic relationship between the two of them because they're so in love with one another. Yet it's not. It's just two men loving each other in an awesome way. And it is exciting to see how, how the story carries them through. Tolkien actually is, is a, from my understanding, a Christian man. 
And so it's neat to see the perspective from him and, and understand um, that's where he got the stuff. It wasn't his idea. It wasn't his concepts that he came up all by himself. But he had a, a source that was, was showing him what would be good for a fellowship. But we can learn some lessons from the hobbits, from Sam and Frodo. And so I want to just run through these together. And this, um, as I hope you can tell, will relate to our fellowship as a church. First lesson that we can learn from the hobbits is loyalty. Frodo starts wigging out because the ring's making him crazy. And Sam is loyal for the whole journey. Frodo beats him down, pushes him away, trusts his evil, trusts, trusts evil Smeagol and his crazy, that's the goblin hobbit gone bad you have to see it and he trusts him more than his own best friend Sam and yet Sam does not leave Frodo screams at him get away and yet Sam will not and pursues him there's an incredible loyalty a loyalty that um, we've lost in a lot of ways not just in this church but as Christians we just don't know how to be loyal anymore I I don't think in a lot of ways It was a commitment to one another. An undying commitment to one another that went to the point of giving one's life. And not just a death in one moment, but their whole being and who they were 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 thrown into this journey. There was a love. And this one, I guess, goes into all of these. But there was a deep love. There was a deep friendship. And it was clear right from the beginning as as Sam and as, as um, Frodo were interacting and as some of the other ones that are interacting, uh, it's clear that they, man, they clicked. They were totally different. There was no similarities between the two other than the two hobbits. But they had come together and decided to be friends and became soulmates. United purpose and goal, and we already touched on this. Accountability and confrontation. Maybe a part of uh, fellowship that we're not we're great at. In fact, I, I, I'm, I'm going to guarantee you that we're not great at this part for sure. And I've demonstrated this as well. We are clueless when it comes to how we're supposed to confront one another. And I will tell you that about 97% of the confrontations done between Christians are done inappropriately. And so when they're done inappropriately, there's no question that they're going to cause conflict. And yet, Jesus has laid out in his book, and maybe someone can can look that up. I I didn't take the time to find that. I'm sorry. Has laid out a pattern of going to that person individually before you tell ten other people and say, I'm thinking of going to this guy because you should see what he's doing. No. You keep your mouth quiet. And out of love for that brother... You go in understanding without telling anyone else. And you talk to that guy. And you know what? No matter what his response is, you love him. And only after attempts at at solving the problem so that the relationship can be restored, then, only after that, do you go when you get only one more person. And you don't tell anyone else. You keep it quiet because someone's reputation is on the line. And as loyal, loving friends, we keep their reputation in high regards among everyone. 
groups and then as two people that have demonstrated deep love for that individual, you go together. And you talk to them. And if that person is still hard-hearted, if they would still refuse, then you go back to your church, who in theory is this kind of church, right? Who is the kind of church that you can trust, who is the kind of church that loves one another so much that you won't allow mediocrity. And you bring the person in front of the church and you say, listen, we love you too much for you to be acting this way. It's got to stop because we need you back. And we love you. And that's the recipe. That's what's been laid out in front of us. And yet, we can't get it right. And the main part we can't get right is, is that we go and tell about six other people before we tell that person. And it's got to stop. It's not loyalty. It's not love. Let's be a church that's different. Encouragement. Encouragement. Life's too hard not to bring each other along, isn't it? Ignoring each other's big hairy feet. And if, you, if you've seen the movie, you understand this. They have these huge, ugly feet with hair. And then at the end, Sam marries this girl who, like, from up here is really pretty, you know, and then all of a sudden, like, you see them walking into their house at the very end, like the last 30 seconds, you're like, oh, she's got the same feet! It's really disturbing. But they all have the same big hairy feet. And as believers, fellowshipping together in this relationship, we need to learn to ignore each other's big hairy feet. You see, this is joined with accountability and confrontation because there's certain things that you don't know need to go and get up in front of someone's face and talk to them about. Some things are just someone's personality that especially while they're growing, if they're young believers, need to be ignored for a while because you love them so much. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, one of my favorite parts. That's a chapter on love. Remember it? And it says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love. Verse 7 says, love hopes all things. Love hopes all things. You know what that means? That love will see the best in everyone. You go talk to Anita Jennings if you need that demonstrated for you. Because love sees the best in everyone at all times and refuses to believe anything else until it's proven 100%. That's got to be us. That's the kind of love that we need to demonstrate with one another. A love that hopes all things. Man, I heard that about you, but I want to believe that that's not true because I love you so much. I'm only going to believe what's best. I've got to believe you did that for another reason because in my heart, I love you so much that I will excuse you till the end. You ever heard a mother make excuses for the children? Oh, he's, he's just cranky today. He's not normally like this. What are you talking about? I see him like, like that every day. But the mother loves their kids so much that they will hope all things into their kids. And we need to hope all things into each other. Almost done. The ring. And this is the part that uh, will sting, but I, I really want to talk about it. There exists in our church, um, I've broken it down to three, I'm sure there's more, some different groups. And this is just reality. Um, I'm not trying to step on toes. I'm not thinking of any, anyone individually as I, we talk about this. 
But there is a core group, and those are the people that have committed to this church wholeheartedly, that are doing most of the work, that are, are meeting together on a regular basis, that are encouraging one another, that are, are encouraging others to come together and be together, that are, are pushing the rest of the body. There's a core group of people in this church that have committed with everything they have. And maybe with everything they have is an exaggeration. In fact, I know it is. But there's a core group that has committed to this church and is serious about seeing this church function and grow and honor the Lord. And there's another group. I believe that we have people at this church that love the Lord and, and love each other. And yet, maybe due to priorities, I whatever the reason, they have one foot in and one foot out. And their level of commitment to this church, to this fellowship, to this idea that we are actually one together because of what Jesus did is something that they do sometimes, but the other times they, they walk away from. And then there's another group. And these are people that are just on the fringe. That come Sundays, maybe even show up Wednesdays. And yet, uh, really, there's very little other involvement in, in the rest of the, the lives of this church. The crazy thing is, is that sometimes we have people moving from the core group out. And that's where the problem is. You see, it it's, it's, makes sense that if you're a visitor or, or if you just came here, that you would be on the fridge, right? Everyone kind of starts on the fringe. So I'm not mad at you if you're on the fringe just by where you are, and I'm not mad at you at all. But the thing is, is that you need to be moving from out here into here. Because this church won't function the way it's supposed to until everyone is in here. And I mean that. Students, I want to talk to you. You're in a really unique place in your life. You've come maybe for four years out of your life, maybe just one. And so the idea of, of taking a huge part of who you are and investing it into something maybe is, is foreign, maybe is brand new, and really maybe isn't something that you, you want to do at this point. Students, we love you. We want you at this church. But this is going to hurt. If you stay on the fringe, and come on Sunday and then don't interact at any other time, you're hurting this body. We used to do this thing at the beginning of each year um, where the leaders would interview the students coming in because we desired to have students come and learn what church looked like and pour their gifts and their heart into this church. And we longed for that. And yet we knew the tendency of, of how busy you were and other things that you were committed to. And so they actually talked face-to-face -face, sat down and said, are you going to be committed to this church? Or are you going to stay on the fringe and show up just because you feel like you should? That was tough. Scott Warren got turned down like six times before we let him come. <laughs> As students, you need to commit. And this is hard. You need to either commit to moving towards that core group. And it's going to take work. It's going to take effort. You're not going to get there right away. understand that. But if you're on the fringe, 
and you continue to stay on the fringe, you'll only hurt this body. It's not just students that, that start on the fringe, is it? There's other people, and, and I say the same thing. If you are someone that is outside of this core group where things are happening, where the church is priority, where the church is real, has meaning in your life, and you've got to be moving in there. Otherwise, you're hurting the church. If you're someone that's been in the core group for a long time and you start to feel yourself slipping out to the fringes because life, because circumstance, I want to tell you this, you're probably hurting the church more than someone that's on the fringe because we can just ignore that kind of, can't we? But when someone that we've trusted starts to move away from this unity, this idea, and this sounds like a cult for goodness sake, but... We've got to be committed to one another because we learn this is not just some social club that we're putting together. This is the body of Christ. This is our lifeline to who God is. Look to the right and see. No one cares about me. I have nowhere to run. No one is concerned about my life. I read that and I had no idea that it was a verse. I thought it was like a poem. Um, and then I looked and this is, this is actually a verse in, in the book of Psalms 142, verse 4. It says, Look to the right and see. No one cares about me. I have nowhere to run and no one is concerned about my life. I want to present to you that the majority of people in the United States feel this way about the church. Feel isolated and disconnected. And even though they're, they're coming on Sundays and then whatever, maybe they're even involved in different activities. Maybe they even look like one of the core group that, that is involved and does things on a regular basis. And yet, if this is the feeling inside of our heart where we really feel like no one else cares. Something's got to change. And church, if this is the feeling that we're creating in people that are maybe on the fringe or in the core group or whatever, if this is the feeling that as a church we're harvesting and, and making, we got to change. Because this is the one place where you're not supposed to feel like you have to put up your guard. This is the one place that you're supposed to feel like you can be real and honest. When everything else can disappear and you can say, listen, my life is messed up and I need help. I need you. I know what you need me. And we've got to get there. If there's people that are feeling this way, one, I encourage you, please, come to us. Let us know. We want to, we want to carry you. And two, we need to be the kind of church where this doesn't exist with anyone in this church. There's enough of us in here that if we determined that no one would be left behind, that no one would have to feel isolated or alone or lonely, whether emotionally or spiritually or physically, anything, this church would look like that of the New Testament. The church 
that at its foundation represented and pictured and showed the very character and nature of God. Do we want that? I want that. Let's pray. God, I confess to you that other things have gotten in the way of of, uh, my relationship with you on a regular basis. God, I confess that as those things get in the way, uh, I really mess up this church in a lot of ways. God, I can't have fellowship with my brothers and sisters when, when I keep falling out of fellowship with you on a regular basis. So God, first and foremost, restore my love for you. Restore our hearts for you. And then, God, through your grace and through your Spirit's power, uh, restore this amazing love that you want us to have for one another. God, this is your church, and you've called us to nothing less but a representation of who you are. And we're not there, but we want to be. Maybe we don't know how to be. Please help us. Teach us to love like you love. Teach us to hope all things and to be loyal. God, we need you so bad. Please don't leave us. Please be with us. So glad you promised you with me in your name. Amen.